Good morning, folks. Um, Shana asked me uh, before the service started how, uh, how I was doing with the COVID and stuff. And, f you know, for me, it's like, well, it depends what area, what part of my life you, you want to look at. Overall, not too bad. But one of the fascinating things for me that is, you know, over this time, that I find week after week is fascinating for me, is this journey I'm on with Jesus as far as exploring what it is to, what does it really mean to be a disciple and trying to live that out has been eye-opening, jarring at times, but just so, it's like, why didn't anybody tell me this stuff before, <laughs> right? Which is so like uh, Jesus, because there's so much, there's so much we don't know and so much we don't understand. Anyway, this is, we're wrapping up this series, which I would describe the series as the preface to the journey that we're going to be on for quite some time. Don't know how long. But this has all been an examination of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And uh, in a nutshell, it basically, what I've been trying to say is that we take our cues from him. And we allow, some people call this our stinking thinking, right? We allow that to be transformed by Jesus. In other words, what that means is that to understand that my understanding of life and my understanding of Scripture, my understanding of how to do it, do stuff, uh, it has to go through the lens of Jesus. That Jesus, we say Jesus is Lord, and Jesus takes that seriously. And if Jesus is Lord, then Jesus gets to define what real life looks like. Not, not me. Jesus gets to interpret Scripture, right? Jesus gets to say who I am. And by the way, we need to see ourselves as followers of Jesus. We need to see ourselves as a new creation. Uh, that's, what, that's how Jesus speaks to us. And that's what we are. That's the whole idea of baptism. It's not just symbolic. It is we're, we're raised up to new life. And uh, so that, that's, a, in a nutshell, what I've been trying to nudge us towards, that whole thing. Now, last week we looked at the uh, Jesus' commission to his disciples, which where he's, this is in Matthew 28, uh, verse 19 and 20, where Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And I, you know, I mentioned, does that mean every command that's written in Scripture? And, and no, it, it, it doesn't because the laws and the commands from the Old Testament they were not given to be a way to find acceptance with God or given as a way to God. They, uh, they exposed my brokenness. I feel guilt as a result of that, right? And But what Jesus does is Jesus commands us, Jesus' commands are to love God with all my being to love my neighbor as myself, to treat people the way I'd want to be treated. It's what my grandma told me, right? right? It, it's, but it, it's core stuff that, that Jesus comes back to all the time. And these are the commands that were given to us to teach others. It's simple, just not easy, you know? 
And, you know, I mentioned as well that the law actually places heavy burdens on us. That's what it feels like. Uh, we, and when we place that on others, it's a heavy burden. And, but Jesus invites us, literally, to let go of that burden and to take his yoke that he describes as easy and light. And that's the yoke of love. So let's talk about, I want to talk about that. Now, <laughs> you'll hear me in my teachings that I continued to come back again and again and again to that central point of love. And I do that because what I find when I read, this, when I read the Gospels, and just as a, as a side note, uh, be in the Gospels on a regular basis, paying attention to how Jesus lives his life and the teachings that Jesus gives and how he reacts and what he calls us to. Pay attention to that. But when, I, when I've been doing that, Jesus circles back all the time to this place of love, of loving God and of loving others, right? All the time. Now, you, you take Paul, and it depends how you want to read Paul, but as you, as you read Paul's letters, um, you see all the time Paul, when Paul gets a good overwhelmed, good overwhelmed with the good news, what bubbles out of Paul is, is this unbelievability Paul has with God's love for us and Paul's calling us an encouragement that we understand how wide and deep and long is God's love, that nothing can separate us from his love. That's Paul and just bubbles out of just about all of his letters. And I find that just really, really fascinating. Now, like I said, the, the laws and commands of the Old Testament aren't the way to God. That, and they were never intended to be. That was never why they were given, right? And when we approach it in that way, that, you know, God will be happy with me if I follow them, it backfires. And that's what you see throughout Scripture, but I've seen it in my own life, that if I make the law my, as, as if that's the way to God, it doesn't soften my heart. I don't become more kind or peaceful or understanding with people. And actually the opposite. I can become more judgmental. I can become more divisive, arrogant, mean-spirited, you name it. That's tend to what happened. And so Jesus calls us to follow his path. And these are the, you know, last week we went over these scriptures, the one in Matthew 22, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus replies, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus, in John's gospel, chapter 13, says this, to his disciples, he says, so I'm now giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Two chapters later on, again, Jesus says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then I reference in Matthew 7, verse 12. 
This is like a command from Jesus, how we are to live, posture our lives. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Powerful ways that Jesus is calling us to. The central thing that Jesus comes back around to all the time is to love. But then you have to ask the question. Again, I think two-year-olds have it because they know how to ask the good questions. Why? (laughs) Right? And we need to ask that question. Why is love central? Why is it central? And here's, here's the thing. The laws, the commands, they address behaviors and attitudes. It's the outward stuff. But what the law doesn't do, it doesn't address the why. Why do I do the things I do? I don't know if your mother or dad ever asked you that when you were growing up. Why do you do the things you do? But it's that question, right? Why? It's why do I do the things? It's the inward stuff. Jesus refers to this. And I'm going to, here's a scripture from, this is Mark 7, verse 15. And Jesus says this, It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled but what comes from your heart. It's the inward stuff that Jesus goes after. Inward stuff all the time. And this is similar to what uh, he pounded home to the Jewish religious elites of his day. And Matthew captures this in his gospel in the 23rd chapter. And it's really what I see it as. Jesus does a tap dance on them, right? Like just goes to town. But there's a reason what's, what's driving here. And in chapter 25, Jesus says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. And then he goes on. Where he says here, the right following, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outward, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. You know, I just, you know, when Jesus talks about you need to clean the inside first, and that'll look after the outside, here's a fact. 2020 is going to go down as a year that the world was confronted with the fact that racism is alive and well in our world, and particularly in North America. We're not excluded from that, and also including the church. The reality is, guys, on the outside, the church may look good, but inside, we have problems. We have issues that need to be addressed. We have the things we have to acknowledge and we have to remove the log that's in our eye. We need to do that because it's not going to go away. This issue of racism keeps coming back all the time and it has to get addressed. We have to clean the inside of the cup first. And that means we have to be willing to talk about these things.
openly. We have to educate ourselves. We have to listen to the black and indigenous and the people of color. We have to take Jesus at his word, learn and live his command, which means doing the difficult work. But do you understand what Jesus has said, what he said to the Pharisees, that if you clean the inside, that'll look after the outside. And this is what Jesus calls us to. As followers, we are following in the ways of Jesus. So let's go back to the, the great commandment, and I want to tag on, and also the, what we call the golden rule, which is found in Matthew 7 there, the commentary from Jesus. And Jesus says that at the end of the great commandment, he says, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And then to do with the golden rule, Jesus says, this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. And what I want you to realize, what Jesus is saying here in those two statements, the the law and the prophets are all based on loving God with everything and loving your neighbor as yourself, and the essence of treating people, the, the, the essence of treating people as the way we'd want to be treated. What Jesus is saying is this, that love is the center of absolutely everything, including you. And by the way, Jesus gets to define what love is. We don't. And Jesus is very clear of what love looks like. And I said also that if you live from that center, love will look after the rest. Father God is love. Love issues from Father God. That's what Jesus came to earth to bring that. It's, it's what John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. It's the center of everything. The center of everything. In other words, like, as Jesus says, wash the inside of the cup and the outside will become clean. Let's press further into this. Again, in his teaching on the hillside, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus states to those who are listening, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. That statement from Jesus is what's called a fait accompli. It's a done deal. When Jesus came, that was done. He accomplished their purpose. So the question becomes, what does this accomplishing look like? The best place I can take you to is one of Paul's letters. And in his letter to the, to the Christians in Rome, at the 13th chapter, Paul had these words to say, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor you will fulfill the requirement of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Paul understood it. Paul 
got it. The very thing, and I want you to hear me right now, the very thing that God calls us to do, to love our neighbor as ourselves, is the very thing that Jesus did when he went to the cross. Jesus loved his neighbor as himself. And that neighbor is you, it's me. You know, we talk about leaders. If leaders are going to take anybody anywhere, they have to go there first, right? You can't teach it unless you've experienced it. Jesus went first. Jesus went first in that law. And that law, love your neighbor as yourself, is referred to by Paul and I think James as well as the royal law. That's how it was commonly known in the early church. This is the royal law. In other words, the summit of everything. And that's what you see in the letters from the apostles. That's what you see from Jesus' teachings. That what we're called to, to love God with everything, every cell, every aspect of who I am. And to do the same, to love my neighbor as myself. That's what we're called to do. That one act of ultimate love that Jesus did fulfilled the requirements of the law. It's what Jesus said to his disciples. Remember in John, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. And that command is love. Jesus says, said that, you know, John, John's gospel captures that. And we see it in the other Gospels as well. To love one another. That's Jesus' command to us. Now, I've had time to ponder this quite a bit. Of what this means and the impact. And it's brought up for me. It's brought up just a ton of questions that I have to ask. It's almost like I feel like, in a way, I have to go back to the drawing board and take a look again at, at how I've been following Jesus and, and where I've placed the emphasis, the things I've placed emphasis on. And it feels like at times like I've, there's, there's a central core thing that I've missed. One of the questions that comes up, how come I wasn't taught this? And I, when I say taught, I don't mean taught, pointed out that what's the greatest commandment or what's the golden rule. That's not what I mean by being taught. I mean learning what that means and how I treat other people. What that means as I follow after God, after I follow after Jesus. It's, it's allowing that, as John Wimber would say, it's great to study scripture, but we do need to let scripture study us. And to let that study me and to say, God, expose my heart, expose what's in my heart. Like the fact that I did, I, I did a theology degree and not one course dug into that. Not one. Not one. It, it causes me to ask, how come if this is central to the scriptures, central to, to Jesus' teachings, central to Paul's teachings, why wasn't this taught to me? Because we can't just assume it, that it's going to happen. And I can't let the world define what love looks like. Because that's not necessarily a helpful script to follow. 
You know, I, I, look, I look at churches and parachurch ministries. We have our mission statements. We have vision statements. We have faith and doctrinal statements. We spend hours thinking and crafting a, a mission statement and trying to be wordsmiths with it, right? To make it pithy, to make it so that people can grasp onto it. But there's only really one mission for the church, which is to proclaim the good news that you are God's neighbor and God loves you in the same way that God loves himself. And while we're proclaiming it to be that, to be the good news to one another, to love one another and everyone else. And there's been times as I've, as I've been you know, thinking, pondering this and, and reading scripture and looking at what Paul has to say and what others have to say, I go, God, I'm sorry I've missed some of this. Teach me, teach me, Jesus. And that's one, of, that's one of my prayers. Teach me, Jesus, what it really, really means to follow you. I want to know. I want to know what it is to follow. I want to read Scripture like you read, understand Scripture. Teach me, Jesus. I've said this. I've heard others say it that, you know, we'll say things like, my sin took Jesus to the cross or my sin nailed him there, or kept him there. And that's one side of the coin. But there's another side of the coin. And that other side says, love took Jesus to the cross. Love did. Love held him there to the cross. And we can say that because Jesus says, no one takes my life. No one does. I lay down my life for you. I lay it down. It's love. There's no other reason. There's no other reason. It's this infinite, immeasurable love of God for us. And it's amazing. And I understand why hymns got written about God's amazing love. One of the Wesley brothers wrote, amazing love, how can it be? And it is. It's absolutely amazing. And here's the other cool thing. Jesus didn't stay in the grave, right? He rose again. And what was it that brought him to life, to new life? Paul says it was the power of love that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the power of love. That's the power. That's the power of God. That's the power of the kingdom that gets brought into our world. And it's amazing. Utterly amazing. The central message of Jesus, of Scripture of what all of creation is birthed in, is love. Love of God for us, for you. And my prayer is that, that you'll come to understand and be able to live this life that Jesus calls us to. And if, if you're just, you know, wondering about who Jesus is, what does Jesus, what is all this thing about following him, and you're not sure, say yes. I agree with Paul when he says today is the day of salvation. Say yes, because there's no other love you will ever encounter than, than the love of Jesus. And will Jesus change your life? Absolutely. Change the way you think, how you see yourself, how you see others, and how you see God. Jesus is the answer to the world's woes right now. Always has been and always will be in the future. Always. 
And so I just pray that you'll say to Jesus, yes, I want to follow you. Yes, receive his forgiveness. Jesus knows everything about you and loves you, loves you. And wants you to see yourself in the same way he sees you. Father God, Lord, we breathe in your commandment to love one another. Your commandment to love the Father with all our hearts, all our souls, all our minds, all our being. Everything that we are to pour out in love to you and to give that love away to this world. Father, I want to thank you for the church. I thank you for the church scattered around the world, Lord, that in so many different ways brings hope to our world. That that is the answer. We don't hear about all the the different ways, but Lord, the church in its language, in its actions, in the missions, and in just so many areas, the shift that has taken place in our world. I thank you, Lord, for the followers of Jesus that when they go to work, Lord, they make a difference in the workplace, that they're making a difference in their neighborhood, making a difference in the grocery store, making a difference in lives, Lord. And I thank you for that. And we pray, Lord, for your kingdom to come, your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray for those who are on the periphery, looking in, wondering, Lord, may they catch your love for them and may they be drawn in. So, Father, we thank you and we say, come, Holy Spirit.